Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Laura here. Two announcements. First, this is a special episode of Unchained from the CME Global Leadership Conference in Naples, Florida. There, I spoke with Arthur Hayes, co-founder and CEO of BitMEX, Dan O'Prey, Chief Marketing Officer of Digital Asset, and Alexis Ohanian, co-founder and executive chairman of Reddit and co-founder of Initialized Capital. We cover how public and permission chains will compete with or complement each other, how blockchain technology will affect incumbent financial services and how it has already proven itself. Hint, as a store of values, one answer. We discuss whether or not crypto represents a new asset class, why the crypto winter is helping to improve the space, and what the launch of backed and fidelity digital assets could mean going forward. It's a great episode. Hope you enjoy it. The second announcement, in case you haven't heard it on the regular Tuesday episodes, is that the 100th episode of Unchained is coming up, which is crazy. So for the 100th episode, I want to hear from you. You might have heard that I'm soliciting voicemails and audio recordings from you and past guests. I have a bunch already that have rolled in. It's super fun listening to them. I love these messages. They are great. Thank you to every one of you who sent one in. If you haven't yet and you want to join the fun, and also if you want to hear yourself on a show alongside crypto luminaries such as Spencer Bogart, Wences Casares, Kyle Samani, and Jimmy Song... Be sure to send me your message or recording. Tell us your name, where you're from, and anything else you'd like to say related to the show. Or you could even just speak about crypto generally. Uh, You could talk about what you've learned from Unchained, your favorite moment or guest, how you listen, or honestly, whatever else you'd like to say as long as it's crypto related. Then finish it off with a prediction about what will happen in the crypto space in 2019. You can easily record a message on the Voice Memos app of your smartphone, or you can use an app on your computer. If you do it one of those ways, then email your file to laurashinpodcast at gmail.com with the subject line 100. That email address again is laura, L-A-U-R-A, shin, S-H-I-N, podcast at gmail.com and use the subject line 100. Or you can call and leave me a voicemail message at 917-675-4882. That's a U.S. number, so my international fans should use country code 1. Again, that number is 917-675-4882. As a reminder, tell us your name, where you're from, whatever you'd like to say about the show or crypto generally, and then round it out with a crypto prediction for 2019. The deadline for these submissions is Thursday, December 20th. I look forward to having you all take over the show. Within months, cryptocurrency anti-money laundering regulations go global. Are you ready? Avoid stiff penalties or blacklisting by deploying effective anti-money laundering tools for exchanges and crypto businesses, the same tools used by regulators. 
CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Do you have an idea for a blockchain app, but are worried about the time and cost it will take to develop? The folks at Azure have you covered. The new Azure Blockchain Dev Kit is a free download that gives you the tools needed to get your first app running in less than 30 minutes. Learn more at aka.ms slash unchained or by following them on Twitter at MSFT Blockchain. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our panel, crypto and or blockchain and the crypto revolution. I'm really excited to be here and to talk with you about what might be a little bit less familiar to all of you than some of the other panels today. Um, why don't we start with a little introduction from each of our panelists. We um, actually selected these panelists that kind of magically represent sort of the spectrum of things going on in this space. So, Arthur, why don't you start? Uh, so, I'm Arthur Hayes, co-founder and CEO of BitMEX. We are the largest trading platform for crypto. We do about two and a half billion U.S. dollars a day of transactions on our derivatives on our platform. I'm Dan O'Prey. I'm the chief marketing officer at Digital Asset. We are a blockchain startup in the, the permission space, dealing with uh, solving problems for, for traditional financial institutions and traditional assets, uh, headquartered in New York and led by Blythe Masters. Uh, and we've been around for about four years now. I'm Alexis Ohanian, uh, previously co-founder of Reddit and now co-founder and managing partner of a seed stage venture firm called Initialized Capital. Uh, and we've made a few crypto investments. Uh, we're early investors in Coinbase, uh, DDEX, Cointracker, and a few others. So now I want to get to know you a little bit. I'm just curious to know, how many of you feel like you could comfortably give an explanation of Bitcoin to another person? Okay. How many of you feel like you could comfortably explain what a blockchain is to someone else? Okay. And what about Ethereum? How many of you feel like you could explain that? Okay, a little bit less. All right, so we actually have some decent fluency in the room. Um, but why don't we start with at least a slightly more basic question. Um, and through this, I think you'll get to understand sort of the spectrum of views that we have in, uh, in this panel. But the Bitcoin white paper came out about 10 years ago. And since then, the technology has developed in numerous ways, many of them unpredictable. And I'm just curious to know what each of you think the future of this technology will be. You know, why are you in this? And down the line, how do you think it's going to change, change the world? And frankly, also, how will it change the lives of the people in here who work for financial services? Mm. All right, I'll go first. Um, so I got involved in Bitcoin when I lost my job in 2013 and I started trading it full time um, for a job. And then I got into trading derivatives over that period of time. And what really uh, struck me about Bitcoin and the whole crypto industry is for the first time, you basically have direct market access for people who otherwise wouldn't interact with financial markets, especially in North Asia where I've spent the past 10 years of my life. Um, it's really compelling to see, you can open a smartphone, open up an account and, and start trading pretty quickly in this new um, asset class. And I think 24-7 uh, trading of all types of different assets is something that's going to be the future, and that'll bleed into the other markets that we're all familiar with, you know, FX, fixed income, and, and equities. 
Uh, so my journey started in this space in, uh, in 2014. Um, I started a company called Hyperledger, where I was a co-founder and CEO. And really, that was one of the first sort of what now become known as permission blockchains. So recognized Bitcoin and personally was, was very, very fascinated by it, uh, but realized that part of the technology, you know, that's one specific use case, peer-to-peer electronic cash. And there are a lot of properties of that system which are ingenious to solve that particular problem, uh, but started to look at how we can actually apply that technology to, to traditional commerce and traditional financial systems. Um, so really, it was about looking at that permissions technology where you know your vendor, you know your, uh, your customer, uh, but you still get a lot of the same benefits that you do on the, on the crypto side or the public side of, of freeing up these, these siloed assets uh, and complex workflows which introduce uh, risk uh, and latency in the systems. Um, so the enterprise space is a little bit younger than the, the crypto space. Really, it's been about sort of four or five years now. Uh, but it's very much coming to the point now where we're, we're moving into production with some of the most, you know, some of the largest financial institutions in the world. Uh, and I think the, the audience here uh, on the, the enterprise side uh, can, can benefit a lot from having that, that real-time data, the auditability uh, that you have with public chains, but still keeping uh, information confidential and secure. Uh, and allowing you to actually innovate a lot more faster upon that that base. Mm. I I first got exposed to it uh, on Reddit of all places. Um, those early communities were largely you know technologists and crypto anarchists, and uh, and it was the world of hobbyists. Uh, you know I I personally held some for for a while now just as as a curiosity. Um, and when Initialized made the investment in Coinbase, I believe it was 2011 or 2012, uh, was that seed investment. And at the time, you know, Bitcoin was probably at $5. Um, the idea then was, hey, if this works, this can be this currency of the internet. Um, now, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, we're still not there yet, clearly. Uh, I do think as a store of value, Bitcoin has been, and this is particularly for people outside of this country, um, has been a tremendous resource. Um, and we're already seeing even anecdotally money getting moved out of countries um, on thumb drives where, where gold is literally being confiscated from people as they make their way out of, there was an example a friend of mine tweeted a few weeks ago out of Venezuela, um, but they were able to get that currency, um, the, the, the currency they had stored digitally in Bitcoin um, out and safely. And so as a store of value, I think we already have some really good proof points. And even though those currency swings seem rather intense, uh, to someone who's lived in an, a nation where there is even more political uncertainty and even more currency fluctuation, Bitcoin actually doesn't look so bad. And, and now what I'm really excited in is investing in companies that are building infrastructure level technology um, to do hopefully a lot more using the blockchain as a technology uh, and, and not really paying any attention to currency speculation. So I think you just heard here we've got these sort of like parallel tracks almost, you could say. One is using the technology in existing financial services. The other is using it in what I call creating this parallel financial system almost. So I'm just curious to know, like, how do you think these two tracks will develop? Will they be in competition or are they in competition with each other? Are they going to converge in some way? Do you see private and public blockchains working together in some fashion down the line? 
so when when sort of started in the permission space, I was hanging out with those those crypto anarchists and Bitcoiners, uh, uh, of which I am partially one myself. But uh, you know, when I started doing that, everyone was saying, "Oh, you know, you've you found Bitcoin and you're here to help build something better, or I'm here to improve Bitcoin." That's not at all what we were trying to do. And and really, I see them as as completely independent tracks that that aren't competing. They're just two very different applications of the same technology. That in some ways happen to look very similar with the solutions, and in some ways are, are entirely different. Um, so if you're not building a you know, peer-to-peer electronic cache, which really the, the, the key property is censorship resistance, if you're trying to apply that to, to institutions who have those, uh, who have physical locations, who abide by regulations, uh, who have obligations to their customers and to their shareholders, censorship resistance isn't really something that, that most people here are, are trying to solve for. Um, so it's a very different application. Some of the same underlying technology is similar, um, but yeah, didn't see them competing. Anybody else have an opinion on that? I'm curious to know what the public blockchain people think. Yeah, I mean, to this point, if you don't need censorship resistance, why would you ever use a public blockchain? It's extremely expensive, it's extremely slow, and um, you have to have a totally different toolkit of engineering skills. Um, you know, the coding on the actual Bitcoin D is actually pretty difficult, and which is why, um, you know, Ethereum is a Java-based sort of scripting language and makes it much easier for people to get into it. But if you're just an enterprise and you want a better way of transferring data or a better database, then you know, private, you know, DLT-type blockchains are for you. You don't really need to interface with Bitcoin or some other public chain. Yeah, yeah. The, the first question we ask when we see these crypto pitches is does this even need a blockchain or, or even does this even like can a just standard basic database um, just solve this problem because there is this there's this hype cycle that we've gone through and that it, we're, we're fortunately at the outside of it now but uh, but people will just try to shove like they'll just try to shove a blockchain in anything um, where it doesn't actually make sense uh, at all and where a traditional database is actually perfectly secure and perfectly reasonable if anyone recalls, Long Island blockchain might be a good example. Uh, for instance, yeah, literally putting it in a stock name just to take advantage of the hype. Yeah. It's a bad idea. So, I would not recommend it. speaking of, though, mm-hmm. investments, uh, there is this view that crypto represents a new asset class. And Morgan Stanley recently put out a new report saying that that's what they thought that it was. What do you guys think? Is that something that is true or not? What are you, what's your take? I think it's sort of a blend. Uh, it's still extremely small. I think the market cap's what two hundred billion dollars. Apple has more cash in its balance sheet than the whole value of the industry that we're talking about. So, it's insignificant in terms of where it is today. Could it become an, a bona fide asset class in the next ten years? Maybe. Um, it's still jury's out on whether or not Bitcoin is actually secure over the long run. It's you know had a decade, which is pretty good, but it's still an experiment. So I say you know jury's out, but. It looking like it could be a new way of raising capital, sending value around the world. Yeah, I was really tickled by all of the talk of VC being dead because of ICOs. <laughs> now, this part of this was my own self-preservation instincts, right? No one wants to think that they're going to go extinct. Um, but I have to be self-aware enough to think, okay, well, like we, we can, we believe we can do everything in tech better, cheaper, faster. Why not VC? Um, but we've seen from the ICO surge and then crash and all of the just garbage coins and money scams and just awful things that they really should get prosecuted to the fullest extent because there was, I mean, actual charlatans taking advantage of people. But we've seen now this this uh, 
kind of realization uh, that that maybe there is something more here. We just have a long ways to go and need to be building really earnestly about it. And as an asset class, I mean, I I, I aim for about ten percent of my net worth in crypto. Um, and and my bet simply being that if this future that we hope for technologically pans out, this this will be a really material investment, but it's still tremendously risky. That's interesting. And when you when you say that, are you holding your own private keys? Uh, some in in a couple of cases for some of the more speculative coins, um, but for the others, they're actually just stored on shameless plug uh, Coinbase, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I trust their security uh, better than better than mine. Well, so actually, let's let's talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of a new paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is when people use digital money now, it's generally in the uh, it's under the purview of a bank, where they can call the bank and say, "Hey, something bad happened. You know, there was a fraudulent charge or whatever." So, how do you think we can get like real adoption? Is it going to take a lot of education? Um, what what will it take for both institutions and people to get into the space and to safely hold on to their coins? We've got to make money at the end of the day. So, you know, institutions need to look at Bitcoin or Bitcoin trading. Probably is the easiest thing for a financial services institution to look at. And okay, can I make five to ten bucks for a seat for a dude sitting there or a woman trading? Most likely, probably, you will not make that amount of money, um, and which is why you've seen some of the banks backtrack their crypto desks, or they've sort of put them on uh, on, on the back burner. So, it's really about how much money can you make. What's the volatility? What's the volumes? You know, we've sort of come off about seventy percent in terms of the the price this year. Volatility is down um, massively. Exchanges are firing people. So, it's a very volume driven business. And if there's no volume, there's no excitement, and you know the institutions won't get involved. But at the end of the day, it's can you make money trading it? And if the and if the answer is yes, they'll find a way to do it. Yeah, and I think there's there's still a lot of infrastructural pieces that need to be built out. Uh, when you compare, you know, the traditional equities market to to the crypto markets, they still look very different in terms of, to your point, you know, holding your own private keys or custody solutions. Uh, you've got exchanges where a lot of the focus has been uh, in the initial days, but operating as custodians and and as central securities depositories in in many ways. And they're still sort of one, you know, even more centralized, ironically, than than traditional finance is, which has multiple different legal entities playing different roles uh, within that service. Uh, so I think that we'll, we'll need to start to sort of uh, tear away um, different aspects and different roles within the market to allow institutional access to, to really arrive. And that, that is being built now. Um, and then to your earlier question on, on perhaps how you see these two converging between the, the permission world and the, the crypto world, <clears throat> uh, I think that, that could potentially be a very interesting uh, match where you're actually using the public chains for, essentially as a settlement layer of the, the ultimate underlying asset. But all of the financial workflows and the lifecycle management around that could be done on a permission distributor ledger amongst traditional financial institutions. And, and speaking to custody, um, we've invested in a company in Canada. I wish I could tell you about, uh, but they're not public yet. But they're working with a big B bank, um, and and I think this is this is a perfect example of the kind of infrastructure investment we want to make, because, like it or not, every industry is going to be a software industry, and especially when it comes to to crypto, uh, you know these are these are banks that we protect not with guns but with code. Um, probably some guns too, but but the the strength of your security really really relies on the strength of your engineering. Uh, I can safely say that even in the valley, 
the, the best startups are fighting for a very scarce resource that is extreme top engineering talent. And with such high cap competition among the most appealing companies for an engineer to work for, that does not leave many options for the Fortune 1000. And so a big trend we're seeing, especially at early stage, is, is companies with top flight engineers who are starting their own businesses, building software and solving these problems at an enterprise level now. Where like 10 years ago, they would have done a, a software as a service business where like you take out your credit card and for $10 a month, you can sign up for Dropbox, right? Now, what started as a little interesting project by Drew, now a multi-billion dollar company, but today we're seeing that engineering talent go straight to enterprise because they know they have this unfair advantage because engineering talent is so, so limited right now. And, and these solutions that we are going to need have to be built by someone. Getting your blockchain app off the whiteboard and into production can be a big undertaking. From connecting user interfaces to integrating disparate systems and data, blockchain app development can be time-intensive and costly. Well, the folks at Azure have you covered. With a few simple clicks, the Azure Blockchain Workbench can create a blockchain network for you, pre-integrated with the cloud services needed to build your app. And with their new development kit, users can extend their app to ingest messages from bots, edge devices, databases, and more. It's free to download and gives you the tools you need to get your first app running in less than 30 minutes. To learn more about the dev kit and how to get started, visit aka.ms/unchained or follow them on Twitter at msftblockchain. Within months, cryptocurrency anti-money laundering regulations go global. Are you ready? Avoid stiff penalties or blacklisting by deploying effective anti-money laundering tools for exchanges and crypto businesses, the same tools used by regulators. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Face it, regulations can stall or kill a fast-moving crypto business. New Financial Action Task Force and European Union cryptocurrency AML laws are coming soon. You could be hit with stiff fines or blacklisted, no matter where your servers are in the world. Prepare now. Deploy the same powerful CypherTrace tools used by regulators. Protect your assets, streamline your compliance programs, and keep your exchange or crypto business out of the regulator's crosshairs. Learn how effective anti-money laundering tools help keep your crypto business safe and trusted. Learn more at CypherTrace.com slash Unchained. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. I want to also just bring in kind of some of these moves by Wall Street to uh, to figure out where all this stuff is going. Because here in 2018, we've seen this massive bear market in the crypto space. And as we talked about, the speculation from ICOs is dying down. And yet Fidelity is launching trading for institutions and backed now this joint venture by the Intercontinental Exchange and Microsoft and Starbucks is going to launch. So why do you think we are starting to see, I guess, traditional financial services get into this space despite the lack of adoption in the bear market? Well, they probably started planning it in, you know, <laughs> last year, <laughs> the fall, yeah, when things were going batshit crazy. And then now it takes a while to you know, get ramped up and you launch it to a massive uh, bear market. So I think it's probably just a, the 
path dependency of when the decision was made versus actualizing the actual product. I'm sure if you had to pull these same executives today and say, please go to your board and approve a Bitcoin something or other um, right now, they probably get shown the door. So it's, I think, you know, luckily they've gotten it through, you know, the community that they need to get through and we have new products to address new markets that are going to be coming online. Um, but I don't think that's uh, any verdict on Bitcoin being any better or worse right now. Yeah, I think uh, you know, the, the, the key point there is the, the lag between, uh, you know, in, in enterprise software is very hard. Uh, it takes a long time to do right, uh, particularly when you're, you're building or replacing mission-critical systems at system- systemically consequential markets. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that the, these projects probably started a long time ago, but they're also probably looking at the long-term trend here. This isn't just a, you know, what's the price today and what's the interest. So they're building out the infrastructure to, uh, to enable access to this that, that frankly, their customers are, are demanding uh, and, and want to see. Uh, and so, you know, we are seeing that, you know, the, the fruits of that starting to be born now, and I'm sure that will, will continue next year. Yeah, and I, I still, I deeply believe that this is a worthwhile investment to be making now. Um, we're obviously all on a panel all about blockchain, so we believe this. But um, I feel really privileged because we have a front row seat to all these emerging technologies. And, and I literally every day am meeting with founders who I have to decide are going, are they going to credibly build the future or not? But a very small percentage of them actually do succeed. And, and there are, there's a disproportionate number of very smart, very driven, sort of credible founders who are building the infrastructure around the space right now that leads me to believe that there are real solutions that are going to be made here. And, and the best part of this crypto winner is it scared away a lot of the charlatans and scenesters. The people who are building on crypto right now, who are you know, credible builders, who, who come from, from companies, they don't have to, but who have come from companies where they shipped real product, who are smart, who are driven. Like the, the ones who are building right now um, and who are building in the space are, are very encouraging. Yeah, and that's just a from my point of view, it's it, it, it's good to see that hype fade to a certain degree, both on the crypto side and on, on the enterprise side, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, as Alexa said, there's so much more focus on what's real. Uh, you know, the, things like crypto kitties get attention because they're fun and it brings Ethereum down. Uh, but now that you know, the hype is starting to dissipate uh, and there are actually real projects emerging from, you know, that have often been a little bit quieter than, than some of these very high-profile, uh, funner, more, more crazy use cases. Uh, but the, the real uh, projects, such as the one you know, that the ASX have, the Australian Securities Exchange, I mean, they're literally replacing their entire post-trade system for equities uh, with a distributed ledger, uh, with a digital asset platform. Uh, and that is going into production in, in Q1 2021. But, you know, it takes time. Uh, but as the hype dissipates, people will focus more on what's real, what business problems can we actually solve? Because ultimately, that's where the, the biggest returns are going to be. Yeah, the, the part that, that has me so excited are the things, if you think of that ledger as like a physical book, like literally like an old school ledger that says you own a small share of blah, 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 and you paid this much for it, and here you go. Thinking of that as a global book that everyone has a copy of that we can all check in sort of real time um, is, is very appealing to me because it can replace a lot of things today that are so boring but necessi- necessary in systems where there isn't sort of trust. Uh, and that usually involves lawyers and accountants. And I almost was a lawyer, so maybe I'm still bearing some grudges against that industry. But there are so many needless hours that are wasted by humans that are this work done by lawyers and accountants 
um, a, a, that, that can be replaced with a kind of, of ledger. And we're seeing this where, you know, I, I, there are some interesting projects around everything from like real estate to you name it, where it is really beneficial to be able to use software to decide ownership and create markets that literally never could have existed before because to take fractional shares of ownership and actually trade them would have required an insane amount of tedious time and work and, and just wouldn't have been viable. Um, but these are in their infancy right now. And so I can imagine having, having, seen, having tried to buy into a commercial real estate project as just an individual accredited investor and dealing with, and just even seeing all the emails and signatures and PDFs, it, is, it, it was long screaming for a software solution. And this is one where, for instance, like the, a, a technology built on blockchain can really solve it scalably and, and create some really interesting new financial opportunities. Let's put a pin in that because I actually want to come back and ask you a little bit more about that. But I also want to go back to what you were saying before, where, you know, we started by talking about these moves by these traditional financial services firms, where they're going to start trading Bitcoin and Ether and stuff like that. Um, but then you were also talking about what you're investing in and what developers are building. How, how do those two relate to each other? Because on one side, it just sort of seems like trading and speculation. And then on the other side, it's like building technology. So what, how do those connect? Uh, well, I think it's some of it comes down to founder expertise and background, and there are the, the the really interesting infrastructure solutions that are being built now for the enterprise are usually coming from founders who have spent time there, who already have the relationships, who saw this, and at this, you know they were they were tabbing into their r slash bitcoin subreddit during work hours with their wheels spinning, trying to figure out a way to do their day job in the financial world better, cheaper, faster using the software. And, and, but we definitely see these two camps. There's, there's the, the founders building tools to solve problems. Coin Tracker is one that lets just retail investors just better track their crypto taxes, <laughs> which is a very important thing a bunch of taxpayers learned last year. Um, and to build software to do that because, you know, TurboTax out of the box is not handled to equip calculating your tax uh, exposure from all of your trades across your seven different exchanges or what have you. Um, and so there's that sector, which is still sort of working to just solve problems for the average consumer. Um, but then there's this infrastructure one that folks here have been talking about where they're not getting headlines because it's not as cute as CryptoKitties, but, but because someone has a relationship to the financial world, they know they know what it needs and they're willing to do the long slog of development that could I mean, very well take years um, before they even get something to their customers, um, but they're willing to take it because they can see 10, 20 years ahead and it doesn't seem like there's any other way to do it. Yeah, I think I completely agree with everything uh, you just said. And I think we are, we're, we're a particularly fun mix of that because a lot of the people, uh, I'm a bit of a sort of naive optimist when it comes to technology, you know, looking at it, what can we do, what's possible, uh, and then partner that with people like our CEO, Blythe Masters, who have been there, done it at you know, JP Morgan for 27 years, who actually know why things are the way they are. And, you know, it, it would be nice, you know, someone to disintermediate CSDs or make uh, real-time settlement, uh, you know, T0 across the board. But there are practical reasons why this is not possible or take a, an act of Congress to actually change some of these uh, regulations. So that's probably not the best thing for a startup to be uh, to trying to be taking on. Um, so instead, you know, we're, we're working with those same institutions, and they recognize that too, and they are actually adapting and evolving. Uh, so I agree, you've got to have that, that mixture of, of the deep experience of being there, done it, uh, across the board, uh, and then also a little bit of uh, you know, new startup and uh, enthusiasm to, to get, keep going for as long as it takes. 
Well, so, but I am curious because I feel like these are still, you know, pretty different tracks to one being this, what they call decentralized finance track where it's not a company, but it's this team of developers and then they, you know, get this crypto asset and uh, incentivize behaviors on this network. Mm-hmm. And I see these developers, they're building um, decentralized money markets or decentralized derivatives or decentralized exchange. And I'm just curious, how does that end up does that end up really competing with traditional financial services down the line or do they work together in some way or what's the vision there? I don't think most of these things are actually decentralized. I think a lot of this talk about decentralized whatever service is is bullshit because at the end of the day, I think recently the um, the Ether Delta, the the founder was uh, paid a $400,000 fine to the SEC for his so-called decentralized application. So they centralized a fine right on him for his decentralized application. I think I also read IDEX, which is a a large, larger decentralized exchange, is now instituting KYC on their platform, which is kind of incongruous with this whole um, aspect of anyone can trade, but then we're doing KYC on you. So obviously, somebody's afraid that they're going to prison for something, which Mm -hmm. then means it's not really decentralized. So I think a lot of these, this decentralized is just a way to get money from people who don't know what they're talking about or don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. So really, the only pseudo-decentralized asset out there is probably Bitcoin, and that's not even that decentralized in and of itself. So I think we have a long way to go before we get to this utopia of decentralized applications. We really have a lot of centralized moats in different parts of the ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. This is like much to the chagrin of a lot of the crypto anarchists who I'm sure got were, were most excited earliest, the sort of earliest adopters of Bitcoin. I do think, ironically, most of the applications are going to end up looking very much like the traditional financial sector just done better, cheaper, faster because of software. Um, what's, what's, I think, always been true, as I've seen it in technology, is, is users will gravitate towards the better user experience, the thing that is better, the thing that is cheaper, the thing that is faster. And, and, and I think to a certain extent, participating with the existing system allows for a better user experience in, in nearly all of the sort of typical use cases. And so then you're really, you're really then optim- you're, if you're trying to go the fully independent sort of techno-anarchist dream playbook, you're really just trying to fulfill a need for a pretty small sector of the market, which can be done and God bless you, good luck. But it's, it, I, I don't know. Uh, I think what we're going to see in the next 10 years is going to look a lot more like traditional finance just done, like I said, better, cheaper, faster than the sort of utopian crypto future. Yeah, completely agree with both. And I think what what end users really want largely is convenience. And and they're quite happy in many cases to trust entities such as yourselves for for these services. Mm -hmm. They don't want to trust blindly or completely, uh, but they're they're happy to. Like, you know, Coinbase, most most Bitcoin, new Bitcoin users buy on Coinbase and leave their coins on Coinbase. It's a centralized entity and some of them never leave that system. So I think with with decentralization, uh, a lot of people often get caught up in thinking that's the goal. um, you know, with Bitcoin, decentralization wasn't the goal. Uh, that censorship-resistant cash was the goal, and decentralization was a requirement in order to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. 
And there are many benefits to centralization, uh, mm -hmm. economies of scale. Um, there are some decentralized uh, blockchain systems which are trying to decentralize Amazon Web Services. Mm -hmm. But having massive data centers co-located with tons of storage, uh, it's very hard to compete with because of the, the price pressures on that. And likewise in financial services, I mean, when you've got central counterparties and CSDs uh, playing central roles in entire markets, there may be downsides to actually even attempting to decentralize those. Yeah. And I, I, let me, I don't want you to think I'm totally, well, okay. The only part I will point out though, it is really special about this, that that release valve does exist though. And, and I think history has enough examples. Um, my, my father's side of the family all fled Armenia during the, the genocide uh, with whatever they could stuff in their clothes, right? Like, there are enough examples from history where having this kind of store of value um, that is in, in ways, you know, censorship-resistant, government-resistant, whatever you want to call it, is actually, I think, a really important part of this technology. Um, it's not a thing that hopefully any of us will ever have to really need need, um, but there are so many people in the world for whom that is, I think, a, a powerful and, and, and very appealing value to it, that, uh, that even as we basically reinvent the wheel, um, I'm thrilled personally as a technologist that this, this sector now does exist because I think that right is one that, that humans deserve to have. So before we continue, I just wanted to know, we have a little under 10 minutes left. And so if you do want to ask a question, you can ask it through the app and I will see all those. But I do want to ask my next question, which is you guys are kind of a more sober bunch than the typical developers that I interview because a lot of them are all about like decentralization and it's going to, you know, all this is going to take down the financial services system and, We're corporate. you know, yeah, the, the big <laughs> banks are, are going to be too big to yeah. fail and, and all that. But I've always wondered listening to them, you know, at the beginning of the internet, everyone always said like, oh, it's going to be peer to peer communication, everything. And now everybody just uses, you know, like Gmail and Facebook Messenger and Twitter and uh, iMessage, whatever. So, yeah. so it's gone this route of centralized, even though the vision originally was decentralized. So I'm just so curious. Um, here we are seeing also all this regulation and obviously in finance, when you deal with money, there's a lot of compliance issues. So do you think that will give a further edge to, to more centralization in the space rather than decentralization? This really depends on what you want out of the product um, that you're looking for. So if you need to run with clothes on your back and then a thumb drive of money, Bitcoin's a great option. If you just want to speculate on some sort of financial asset, do you really care that you have to do KYC or maybe it takes a day or two days to get set up with an account if the product makes sense and the user experience is nice? I mean, we have you know Robinhood where essentially... Retail consumers in the U.S. have basically given all their trade data to HFT firms, and they're making a killing. So it's all about the user experience. We're repackaging very simple financial instruments and making them friendly on an app, and people like that. And they don't really care what happens behind the scenes. So I don't think that the consumer really cares. They're lazy. If it looks really nice and it's decentralized, they'll use it. If it looks really nice and it's centralized, they'll use that too. But the underlying mechanics of the microstructure of what you're offering is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same way that you know, no one really cares about what's behind the hood, behind you know, Google servers or, uh, or any, any tech company or app that you use. U Uber just works. If Uber's decentralized or it's a single company, as long as the price is the same and the experience is the same and the car arrives, most people don't, don't care. Yeah. Uh, so I think blockchain will it'll be just be a behind-the-scenes technology that, that has end-user benefits or, or financial institution benefits, uh, but ultimately has to compete on its own merits uh, against other traditional technologies and, and new technologies. 
It's, I, I, I'd only be underscoring what they're saying. It is, uh, it's got to be a better user, user experience. Now, if, if someone comes along with a decentralized Uber that effectively lets me as a driver, I mean, I'm not long on that because it'll all be self-driving anyway, but that would uh, let me accrue more ownership in the greater company. Uh, like, okay, maybe this is interesting enough, but, but at the end of the day, the car still needs to show up as fast or faster, right? The user experience, we like to think of it, is this user experience 10x better than what exists? So was Uber 10x better than hailing a cab, in San, especially in San Francisco? Uh, yes, it was 100,000 times better, or really anywhere. Um, and if it doesn't answer that with a strong yes, it, it, it's probably not going to be enough. All right, yeah. Well, we'll. I think we'll find out, because I think the whole ICO craze was based on this idea of user ownership. And so who knows if that will... You can own a zero well, now. Right, right. I will, I will play devil's advocate to myself. I think the one area where we're starting to see the pendulum swing back a little is around uh, privacy controls. And I think, I think Facebook is teetering uh, on a point of, of sort of general, like, there, there's a, there, there, I, did you see the launch of Portal? No? Any, God, I live in a bubble. Anyway, <laughs> Facebook wants to put a screen in your home and a camera and record everything, and you can talk oh, to your relatives. But um, the, the, the backlash within the sort of early adopter ecosystem was strong, and those would be the exact people I would expect to want to have this thing on you know, Cyber Monday ordered for Christmas. Um, so it leads me to think that there is some movement away towards some of the, the, like, sort of the, 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 the Facebook overshare uh, when it comes to privacy. But if you're actually trying to pitch me on you want to build the next Facebook, simply having it be decentralized still isn't good enough. No matter how like tense it all makes us feel that Zuck's got all of our photos and knows exactly whose profiles we look at and how much time we spend on them and how Facebook used to have software to predict when couples would break up. Oh my God. Uh, that, this was years ago. I don't think it still exists. But the, it, we're, we're all kind of okay with it, right? We're like, yeah, all right, whatever. Uh, and that's, that's just the reality, unfortunately. I know. Honestly, the more I learn about privacy, the more I'm shocked that people don't care and the more it makes me frightened for the world. But I know I'm in the minority because it's true. Most people don't care. Um, so let's go back to tokenized securities in the short amount of time we have. It's funny because last night at dinner, Arthur was saying that you weren't super interested, but mm-hmm. Alexis, you just said you were. So I want to hear you guys talk about it. What's your take on tokenized securities? What's, you know, what do you think the potential is and why are you excited or not excited about them? I'm not excited because I think one of the reasons why I kind of liked the ICO as it was before the SAFT monstrosity um, was anyone with a website and a Bitcoin or Ether address could put up some gobbledygook of a white paper and say, if you believe in what I'm saying, give me some money and I'll issue some tokens at a later date. As people got afraid that they're going to be put in jail for basically giving, um, offering these maybe securities, maybe utilities, what have you, they sort of migrated to a very legalese term sheet, which looked like some sort of reg whatever offering. And that sort of sort of got away from the whole ICO game. The STO or the securitized um, tokens, uh, I don't see how retail investors who have been powering this whole bull market in the whole crypto space are going to get excited about an equity that just looks a little bit like a digitized token. And so I really don't see any sort of really USP on the securitized offerings, and they're just going to be very heavily regulated, and can these startups afford to pay a ream of lawyers to get licensed in every single jurisdiction that they want to trade in? I just don't see it. Yeah, I. this is one where you're going to probably be surprised to hear me say that I would love to see the SEC do some really thoughtful regulation around it, because I do think well-done regulation could help enable 
a ton of activity that just doesn't exist right now. We know there's so much capital seeking yield in the world. And I'm thinking of traditionally really sort of non-dividable or non-easily securitizable assets that could be. Um, but the 100%, I mean, the cost that'll get it started will be tremendous. This would need to be, and we are seeing them more thanks to a lot of very well-funded VC firms, very overcapitalized early stage company that basically says, yes, look, we're going to spend a year building this technology. We're going to spend countless dollars on lawyers and, and be like a fat startup to try to make this happen. Long term, I'm still excited. On the, the shorter term, the, we talked a little bit about CryptoKitties. I am interested to see what happens around these non-fungible assets. And you're going to really have to bear with me here. But did any of you collect magic cards? None of you. Okay, one of you. Great. Okay. So, right, there is a... Or baseball cards. There we go. Even better. Okay, everyone did. Awesome. So, right, there's a, there's a value there because there is a scarcity of that one Billy Ripken uh, special limited edition card where he has a profanity on his bat, right? It's a great card. That is a special thing because in the physical world, we only printed a certain number of them and you can prove that this is the real thing. There is a version of this, there are versions of this and the infrastructure for it in the works right now for digital versions of this, these non-fungible assets. And CryptoKitties is one kind of weird game version of it. Um, I would love to see a digital Magic the Gathering version of it. And there's a, if you go on eBay right now for like a Black Lotus card, um, a market of people have determined that it is worth a lot of money. Um, and I think that there are ways to, to look at things like what Fortnite has done to generate literally billions of dollars in revenue with digital goods that you cannot move out of that one ecosystem uh, and, and actually allow it to be tradable broadly. But it's still very early days. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would just say to, you know, to, to those points, with security tokens, if it's, if it's sort of on a public chain sense, uh, you know, very much agree with Arthur in that, you know, really, the, what's the incremental benefit of doing an ICO uh, over a typical equity issuance? And, and really, right now, the only incremental benefit is skirting regulations. Uh, and as those regulations are clamped down on, on the people that are doing that, uh, you start to just rebuild exactly the same system as today. So if the, the SEC were to come in with, with a more relaxed regulations for the ICO, market or security token market, they could equally apply that to existing uh, equity uh, you know, crowdfunding uh, today and, and allow the same access through the same system. So I'm, I'm not sure what I see the, the incremental benefit of building that entirely permissioned system on top of a permissionless base, which is inefficient. Uh, why not just use the existing system uh, and improve that, improve that that you have today? Yeah, well, I think these are all the sorts of questions that we all have to uh, use when we're engaging these various projects, whether in the public or private space. So thank you so much for all your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.